And we are live from the Empire of Lies, a bastion of free speech, innovative thought, and open debate in the vast wasteland that is the New World Order. I'm Lee Stranahan, and we're joined today on Truth Tuesday by our guest co-host, Jason Goodman, on The Backstory. How are you doing today, Jason? I'm great, Lee. How are you? Good. Looking forward to the show today. Rod has put yeah. together a great show for us. It's a very Russo-centric. Is that a word? I think so. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a very Russian-focused show because I believe both of our guests are coming from Russia. If not, then one of them is coming from Ukraine. I don't know where Mark's coming from. Where is he? John, John Mark. Forgive me. Uh, oh, he's going to be in Moscow, I would think. He, so he was available. I asked him yesterday. He said he wasn't going to be around. He, he said what? When I asked John Mark Dugan yesterday, uh, he said he was busy today, but maybe Rod got him. Rod? Yeah, no, he, he agreed to come on. So, yeah, he still have things. I'll say. Great. So, so, yeah, we have him on. So, in the first hour from Moscow, Mark, that's what it was confusing to me, Mark Sloboda making us smarter about the crazy goings on in Ukraine. You've seen this, Zelensky fired. He's got 651 prosecutions against wow. his own people. Did you see wow. that, Jason? Yeah, and I saw he fired. The, they love firing the prosecutor general in Ukraine, don't they? They fired all the prosecutor generals. He fired wow. the, the, the heads of the SBU in five different... I'm going to sound like I know I, I speak Russian, but... Oh, blast. That's yeah. basically Ukrainian or Russian areas, like states. But yeah. in five oblasts, in five regions in Ukraine, he fired the head of the SVU. And hmm. I think the wheels are coming off. I think that's a sign of desperation on Zelensky's part. But we'll talk to Mark Sabota and John Mark Dugan about what's happening. And John Mark Dugan's in Moscow. And we'll be talking to him about his interview with Aiden Aslan. And yeah. he's making news for that interview. Yes. But of course, it's the kind of garbage news that you would expect. It's not praising him for interviewing this guy. Right. It's attacking him. And we'll talk yeah. about that. And then, Jason, we're also going to get you and I heavy and slightly deep on a couple of issues next hour because we'll be talking to Mark until the end of the hour and we're taking people's phone calls 202-521-1320 Jason on what show? This is the backstory Now I'm going to uh, follow up on a headline that's in the news today and I'm going to say that it is a trend that I see coming where I see modified back to blue. Let me explain. You had Black Lives Matter, and they're very anti-police. Agreed? Yeah. yeah. And that resulted in a lot of defunding the police and Soros-backed DAs and a lot. Yep. Now, now, that's had a fallout, which has raised, you know, heightened crime. 
in all yeah. sorts of cities. Yes. And there's been pushback. Chesboudin was kicked out by voters. The yeah. very liberal Soros-backed DA in San Francisco. And Eric Adams is a pro-law and order mayor on in paper. New York. On paper well, only. No, no. I, I would say, in fact, he, he is, he's not just on paper. On paper means he's not backing the police and putting his money where his mouth is. But on he's this not. issue of the, the bodega, the prosecution was dropped against the bodega worker who killed a guy. That was announced today. So the pressure's going the other way. The pressure's going for law and order. And you're seeing it. And the fact that he's at all a law and order, Democrat mayor, in fact, not openly hostile to police, is significant, I view. However, okay. there's a fly in the ointment. There's something that's going to keep and I think it's good, probably, that's going to keep the pro-police stuff at bay from becoming too much of a trend. And that's, we talked about it yesterday. It's hard to back the blue when in Uvalde, Texas, there were 346 mm -hmm. cops. And they were unable to stop one gunman who ended up killing a lot of kids. Yeah. Would you agree with that? It's hard to say I'm I'm just unabashedly pro-police. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you see me walking around New York City, and although it is very good that Jose Alba will not be charged with murder, this is sort of like Joe Biden saying, oh, good news, gas prices are down 40 cents in the last couple of weeks when they're up, you know, $2 over the last two years, it's basically like an abuser telling you, hey, you know, don't make me have to hit you again. Well, I'd say at first, when there was a defund the police, a lot of people on the right were probably too reflexively pro-police. And the other yes. thing that's going to stop that is it's, it's not our country, but there are examples of it. Have you seen in Holland the way the police are going after, and apparently launching undercover protesters into the protesting farmers. Uh, you mean provocateurs, undercover protesters agent, doing what? That's standard. Provocateurs, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yes. that's what they did January 6th. That's what they've done all over New York City with this anti-vax freedom New York. You know, this is what they do. It's standard operating procedure. So I'm, I, I would say on the right, the attitude towards the police is not reflexively pro-police. It is broadly pro-police when they do their job and when they're not abusive, right? Right. Yeah. And I think that's good. I think that's good that the right is developing a bit of realism about the police. Mm -hmm. What say you, Jason? I agree. I mean, we can't just—there's a lot of people who automatically, you know, thank the police thank anybody in the military. I think it's important that we understand that respect is earned. You don't just, you know, put on a uniform and suddenly have people's trust and respect. You've got to uphold the law. Yeah. And that's going to be important as we go forward. I've been talking for the last week or so on the show about what I see 
is the coming world of revolution. And a lot of it's here now. Sri Lanka, Estonia, Bulgaria, uh, England. Mm. It's not violent revolution, but still Johnson's out. Draghi's out. In Italy, Draghi's out. Have you heard they're not wanting to let him resign? I did not hear that. That's weird. <laughs> yeah, they're trying to... Now, here's why. And we'll talk more about this later. I've talked for the last week or so. There is, as much as there's a crisis with fuel or gas or food, all of which are showing signs of having an energy shortage or food shortage, right? Yeah. Just as importantly, there's a leadership shortage around the world. And there's not only a leadership shortage with bad leaders, there's no one stepping up. I'll put it like this. There's a vacuum. You would think as unpopular as Joe Biden is, because he is, he's very unpopular with Democrats yeah. and Republicans, a million people would be jumping in to replace him. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? You'd think a You'd whole think. bunch of politicians would be showing up. Yeah. That's not happening. Mm-hmm. And no one of any weight, and no one's getting any real traction. Usually what happens is uh, nature abhors a vacuum, and power abhors a vacuum. Yeah. Right. Usually what happens is when people get out of power, other people step up to the plate. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, usually, yeah. That's, and that's not really happening. You notice there's not someone boldly challenging, even on the Republican side. I would say there's no one boldly challenging Donald Trump. Correct. And even even DeSantis, and boldly doesn't mean acting like a Democrat. Right. If He's I just were, testing if the I waters, were, really. Right. And if I were boldly challenging Donald Trump, do you know what I would do? I've talked about this before. What? I would challenge him as Donald Trump 2016. I would basically say, I like Donald Trump, and like millions of supporters— I thought he was going to really step up and right. not get us involved in foreign wars and and take a strong stance and, and get that wall built. Yeah. But he didn't get the wall built. And if I'm elected, I'll get the wall built. Because, you know, and, and you may say, well, it's not fair to criticize Trump because he couldn't get the wall built. Trump apparently has no problem criticizing Elon Musk because yeah. he's built a freaking self-driving car and they occasionally have accidents. Right. Right? So is it fair that Elon Musk didn't build a perfectly self-driving car in the first generation or iteration of that technology? I mean, I think it's already uh, approaching better safety record than the average for human drivers. So, you know, like any statistic, depending on how you look at it, it makes a difference. And Elon Musk has said, but think about it. Think about what you have to deal with to have a self-driving car. You have to deal with 
a road full of other cars driven by human beings who sometimes do crazy stuff, right? Yes. They dart out into traffic or they try to catch a yellow light or whatever. He said artificial intelligence, a good test of it is driving because there's so many variables you need to deal with. Yeah. So the fact that he's got a self-driving car that doesn't crash out of the driveway is impressive to me. Right. And so I'm just saying, if it's fair to go after Elon Musk that way, Donald Trump, I'll go after you for not getting the freaking wall built. Because, sorry. The other thing thing I would go after Trump for is, you know, Elon Musk, as a private citizen— has done vastly more to expose the corruption of Twitter than Trump did when he was the president of the United States. Why couldn't Trump have uh, said, look, this is an unlawful removal of the president and uh, you're going to be investigated and you know, you've know, you got all these other foreign leaders who are allowed to communicate and issue threats and do all kinds of things. But he just did nothing. He just quietly went off into the distance and created his own investment in a weak Competitor. I mean, for Trump to criticize anybody's technology, he needs to look at Truth Social. That is very poorly executed in terms of what it's trying to be. It is not impressive at all. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I agree. And Jason, we'll talk more about this uh, at the top of next hour. But joining us soon, Mark Zabota, straight out of Moscow. Let's take a short break and come back with Mark Zabota and find out are the wheels coming off? the Zelensky regime. I think there are some indicators, and we'll talk about them right after this on The Backstory. Backstory and on 105.5 FM AM 1390 in Washington, D.C. Joining us now from Moscow, Russia, Mark Zaboda, great friend of the show. Hey, Mark, how you doing? Lee, Jason, thanks for having me. It's always an honor and a pleasure to be on the Backstory. Hi, Mark. And slightly fun, too. Now, yeah. let me ask you about the weather first, Mark. Europe's having a heat wave. It was... There are wildfires in parts of Europe, and including England. I saw trees on fire by the highway, some frightening footage. And it was 104 degrees around London today. And Jason, do you know what's frightening about that? What? No air conditioning. They use a metric system. So 104 (laughs) Celsius is like, apparently, it's like 500 degrees. No, I'm joking. That's too hot. But, But anyway, Mark, is Moscow... On the edge of Europe, are you catching any of this European heat? Not yet, no. I mean, we're uh, looking at it. Um, let's see, what's the Fahrenheit? I can't even remember Fahrenheit anymore. Um, it, it's like 70 degrees here, 70, mid-70s. Nice. So it's just a nice summer day. Uh, well, it's been a little bit rainy, but yeah. I mean, we don't often get above, say, 95. That's uh, unusual. Uh, and we only have a generally a week or two, uh, at least in Moscow. I mean, Russia's a big country, and there's a lot of temperature variation. And actually, Siberia gets a lot hotter 
because of the continental climate. And every year there are forest fires across Siberia, basically like California. It's uh, it's crazy and it's awful. Uh, but um, in, in Moscow yet, we haven't had any big uh, heat wave. I'm sure it'll get here, but it'll already be also probably be denuded a bit when it does. So, Okay, good. Good. Now, watch. I'm such a professional broadcaster. So watch this segue. Here we go. But, Jason, do you know who's feeling the heat? Vladimir Zelensky. See what yeah, I see what you did. I see what you did there. I see what you did there. <laughs> Thank yeah, you very much. It's now, so smoothly. Now, I would say so I, I really am seeing signs of the wheels coming off the Zelensky administration. The first thing where I noticed, we were talking last time we were on the show about the million-man army that was going to be attacking, apparently, the Kherson region. Along and then, with the ghost of Kiev and the martyrs of Snake Island, right? Yeah. But, but then the guy who, who talked about, in an interview, who talked about the million-man army, came back like a week later, after all the Western media had wrote about the million-man army, and he said, oh, my English isn't very good. I didn't mean a million-man army. That was weird because Ukraine let the story fester out there for a week. No, no, no. I don't blame Ukraine. Blame the Western media's stenography for just repeating it without any criticality whatsoever. Uh, uh, They, uh, I mean, they would make Baghdad Bob blush, right? I don't blame the Ukrainian media, they're at war, right? That's part of it. But when you have a a Western media that just repeats anything, any official out of Kiev says that they feel, feels like something that they want to hear without any criticality whatsoever, uh, zero journalistic uh, credibility whatsoever. Now, Now we've got Zelensky famously firing the prosecutor general and the head of the SBU and also a lot of people with the SBU regionally, five different regions. Yep. And he's he's announced 651 prosecutions and is accusing them of collaborating with Russia and with treason. What is going on? Okay, so uh, first of all, this is 651 and 60 SBU agents, 60 intelligence agents being charged with treason. These are government officials and law enforcement officials. That's to say nothing of the thousands of everyday Ukrainians have, who have also been uh, seized by the regime for, for collaboration, which evidently is, is as little as posting social media posts uh, you know, uh, of anything critical of the regime. Um, so, I mean, it's no secret, right? The Ukrainian government was overthrown in 2014, right? And um, uh, a foreign-backed butch seized power in the country. They tried to pape over it and said the president fled the country and all of this. But it was a putsch, and it was a putsch that polls at the time show less than 50%. It was almost 50%. You could effectively say the country was divided in half, but a slight majority opposed it, right? And that didn't change over the last eight years of civil conflict in the country. A lot of people in the government have never supported this regime. A lot of them have been biding their time. And when they see a chance to get rid of it, a lot of them have jumped, 
right? Um, and, uh, you know, when you have hundreds of your own government officials and law enforcement officials siding with the country that, you know, according to your government is invading your country, well then, yeah, you've got a big problem. Your regime is, is crumbling and you're trying to hang on to it by any means necessary. And it, it's even more interesting because the, who, who the head of the SBU, of the, of the Ukrainian intelligence agency that has just been fired for hundreds of, of uh, Russian collaborator, collaborators with Russia among the intelligence agency ranks. But um, he is a childhood friend of Zelensky. They go way back. They've been friends their whole lives. And so when the comedian becomes president, he says, who better to run my intelligence agency than the guy who worked in my comedy company with me, Kvartal 95, right? They, that's, that's where they worked together. That's where they made their millions, uh, it, mostly making uh, movies in Russian for the Russian audience, uh, funnily enough. Uh, but uh, so he has just accused his childhood friend friend his whole life friend a people a person who worked with him for years that he brought of treason uh that well, is i that is either while wow, some real fights are going on underneath the covers there or some real crazy level of insane tyrant paranoia take your pick yeah wow well it it seems like the insane tyrant paranoia because Accusing him of treason over what appears to be ineptitude, that's what's weird to me. And Zelensky's done that before. He likes accusing people of collaborating with Russia. Is there any indication that any of these people were actually collaborating with Russia, with Russia, Russia? Mark? Okay, yeah, okay, so let's make a, a distinction here. When he charged the head of the main opposition party, um, uh, of, of Eastern Ukraine with treason. Well, I mean, there's no question that Viktor Medvedchuk would prefer a foreign policy that Ukraine be friends with Russia and, 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 you know, not part of NATO. I mean, that, that, that is the view of East Ukraine. That's the view of his constituents. If you want to call that tre that kind of political dissent treason, well, then certainly Viktor Medvedchuk is guilty of treason. When he accuses his, his predecessor, the head of the other main opposition party, the ultra-nationalist so-called European Solidarity Party of the candy oligarch who was president of the regime before him, Petro Poroshenko, when he accuses him of treason uh, for, uh, you know, cooperating uh, with, with uh, basically accused him of terrorism, uh, that's nonsense, all right? But I have, I think that it is incredibly possible that large numbers of these uh, government and law enforcement officials were working with Russian intelligence. I mean, there, it's no secret that, I mean, the entirety of the Ukrainian military intelligence service is riddled with them because they didn't fire everyone 
from the government when they seized power. And there are lots and lots of people in the government ranks, even the intelligence ranks, that have quietly gone about their business but not agreeing with what has been going on in the last eight years. And when they see a chance to get rid of it, yeah, they've 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 uh, you know done some things. I, I have no doubt about it. The large numbers of them are. I'm sure there's also some people that have been wrongly identified, as as always happens in such type of things, some types of purges and witch hunts. But I, I I have no doubt that that hundreds of them have been because newsflash large numbers of Ukrainians do not support this regime. And newsflash, actually, there's Ukrainians on both sides of this conflict, and there's tens of thousands of Ukrainians fighting alongside Russian forces trying to get rid of this regime. And there's also some evidence of what I would call absolutely massive intelligence failures. I've heard about these stories, so correct me if I'm getting any facts wrong, but I understand there was a Russian missile strike on an officer's club recently, and about 300 Ukrainian officers were killed, including, they're saying, also killed there were some arms dealers or arms people who are transferring arms to Ukraine. And then this, the second thing is the, the rumors about the Russians buying one of the HIMAR missile systems that was Whoa. sent by the West to Ukraine. <laughs> so th th that's why I call big intelligence failures. So what about yeah. those two stories? What do you know, Mark? Yeah. So, again, I, I mean, Western intelligence have commented how Ukraine is like a sieve with intelligence because there's so many, you know, Russian, you know, people leaking information to Russia out of it. In uh, the, the first uh, thing you're talking about is the uh, it was a missile strike in Venetia, which is a city in central Ukraine. And in the middle of the city, there is an officers club where there's large numbers of you know, Ukrainian military officers. It's like a uh, a barracks and a, uh, you know, meeting rooms and everything all together. And uh, when it was hit, the Kiev regime right away tried to say, oh, they're hitting civilian targets. They're hitting kids and puppies. And uh, again, all they attack is hospitals and dog pounds and, you know, and so on, the usual type of thing. Well, then it, of course, emerges that uh, uh, several uh, uh, Ukrainian uh, uh, Air Force officers, colonels, several of them were, were, were killed in the strike. And then you're like, oh, well, you know, I guess hmm, maybe the officers club was an officers club. Right. You know, I mean, the officers house, as it was called. And what the Russian government goes on to say is that there was a number of NATO officials there. Um, I, I presume military officials that were negotiating a transfer of Western aircraft uh, to the Ukrainian Air Force, um, and they found out about it and they hit it. And so there's probably a several um, uh, Western uh, NATO officials who uh, were killed in that, you know, a military, I, I would presume uh, at some level that were killed. And amazingly enough, Sweden just announced that one of their uh, military Air Force officers died in Ukraine. And they didn't give details about the uh, exact details. And I'm sure he wasn't the only one. So, I mean, there's no question that was a legitimate target. I'm actually, if anyone's at fault here, it's for it's the Kiev regime for having, uh, you know, officers uh, um, house 
you know, barracks and meetings rooms, you know, not on a military base outside the city, but in the middle of the city in a, a, a domestic area. But um, yeah, um, that that you could say that is an intelligence failure. I, I look at it as more as, you know, the way the normal way they do business. Uh, but it, it was also then an intelligence failure uh, for uh, the NATO officials who were there, a fatal one. Um, uh, the um, other uh, incident you're talking about, which one was that again? Oh, the high, the high marsh. marsh. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen. I, OK, so this has been talked about for a couple of weeks now. And I have not seen any – I know that some more serious level chatter has been going on about it, but I haven't seen anything that would confirm it. And I have my suspicions, okay? So there's only eight HIMARS active and operative in the country, eight minus the ones that Russia has already destroyed, which Russia says they've destroyed three. So that would leave five. And these are big value propaganda, right? They're not – some magical bullet game changer they're uh they've got their they're a pretty good multiple rocket uh launch rocket system they've got pretty good accuracy at longer rangers than some of the soviet era legacy uh rocket systems that ukraine has already lost hundreds of but that's it right it's it's no magical game changer or anything but it's really good for the propaganda value and western journalists love promoting it like it's some big thing that ukraine managed to hit one ammo dump while neglecting the fact that russia hit you know 15 ukrainian ammo dumps on the same day you know things like that so but i i, th I would imagine there's pretty tight control over this very small number of these things now i have seen other equipment that has definitely been sold out right both to jihadists in syria and uh also you know to to uh you know uh, uh russian Backed Ukrainians, i.e., you know the Donbas, and I, I do believe there is more sub substantial evidence that a French Caesar artillery system was transferred that way. Uh, but I have my doubts about the High Mars story. Until I see something official, I can consider it, you know, unsubstantiated. Now, Jason Goodman, do you have any questions for Mark? Yeah, because you know, Lee, I don't know if you saw this story, but Dilyana Gate. Her name just is so difficult. Gatenjeva. Gatenjeva. You know the the Yeah, she's got a report about this Ukrainian plane crash, which apparently contained weapons that were being transferred by a Serbian arms dealer named Slobodan Tesic, who had a company registered in Florida. There's apparently some white substance of unknown origin that Greek authorities have found. And there, you know, firefighters and rescue people are saying it's burning their lips and stuff like that. So it seems like there's a lot of illicit weapons and material moving around in the region. Have you heard anything about this Ukrainian plane crash, Mark, cargo plane? Yeah, um, yeah I, I've heard about it. Um, uh, interesting, of course, uh, um, that it, you know, uh, happened, uh, you know, in this involvement with Serbia, which is usually considered, uh, you know, politically, a lot of Serbians uh, back Russia and the Serbian government has refused under threats from the EU to participate in the sanctions. Um, you know, I haven't heard anything exactly. There was munitions on board. That is unquestioned, right? And lots of munitions when they blow up, you know, leave lots of nasty things behind. Uh, but we'll have to wait to see if any more details emerge about what exactly 
was on this flight. But uh, the Greek foreign ministry has lodged a complaint with Ukraine's ambassador um, because um, the uh, evidently the, the Kiev regime did not uh, inform Greece about what exactly was on this aircraft when it crashed in their country. And they seem to be mm. trying to find out the same thing. No, Mark, is, is it possible the dangerous white powder left behind was some of Zelensky's cocaine? <laughs> yeah, I, I I know that that people love, you know, uh, harping on this, and certainly Zelensky made no secret of the fact that earlier in his life he was snorting this stuff when he was a comedian. Whether he still does or not, I have I have no way of knowing. I I don't I don't like to 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 feed uh, you know personal things like that. But you know, I couldn't avoid that one. I, too obvious you're to you're you're free. You're not an analyst, right? Your reputation isn't on the line. You're in radio, and part of that is entertainment. So, it knock yourself out, and you know, with all the white powder you want. Wait. <laughs> well, thanks for calling and entertainment. So, Mark, yeah. uh, militarily, Russia seems to be onto another phase. Nope. And no, same you, phase. You don't think so? No, it's the, the same, same phase. phase. I mean, they're battering, battering down. Uh, uh, Kiev regime defensive lines that were built up over eight years. They're they're down to the last two lines right now. The concentration is on the defensive line from it runs in the north from in in it's in Donetsk from uh, Seversk um, to Solodar uh, and then down to Bakhmut. Right. And that's where the concentration is right now. Uh, Seversk, it's a really hard city to defend. Uh, it's a, in a very low lying area um, I, as far. Uh, but there's heights around the city. So as far as I understand it, the Kiev regime forces already retreated from the city proper, but have positioned themselves in the heights. And right now, the uh, Donbass forces primarily are engaged in trying to knock them out of those heights there. But um, the, the, then there's one more major defensive line, and this will be kind of the big climatic battle for the Donbass, the, the last defensive line. Uh, and that is uh, the Slavyansk, uh, Kramatorsk, uh, Konstantinovka, and all the way down to Advevka. And this is, it's first of all, it's the last big defensive line. It's where there is a large number of Kiev regime forces, although a lot of that at this point is probably territorial defense. And uh, the Kiev regime nationalist and regular military that have Many of them have lost 70 to 80 percent of attrition, just terrible, terrible casualties. Um, but um, it's symbolic because Slavyansk, Kramatorsk, that is where the whole uprising against the Maidan putsch in Kiev seizing power in 2014 began a couple months after. This is so it's all going to end basically where it all started. And once that defensive line, right, and we're probably looking like it at least two months, because this is a, a slow, measured, methodical process at this point, right? Russia advances their artillery, right? Uh, they consolidate an area. They soften the next defensive line with artillery for a week or two or three until there's nothing left moving. And then they move the, you know, the infantry and the mobile units in to mop up whatever is left. It's, it's simple. 
brutal and incredibly effective and it minimizes casualties on the Russian side while maximizing casualties on the Kiev regime side. Uh, and you know, that's, that's the process here. Uh, it is industrial warfare. Uh, the Kiev regime is by their own admission, they are firing some five to 6,000 artillery shells a day. And so when you hear that, oh, the West has delivered 200,000 artillery shells to Kiev. Oh, my God, that sounds like like a lot. And you're like, no, actually, it's <laughs> it's like a month supply right at their low rate. Mm. Meanwhile, they say this is again, these are probably underestimates that make them look a little better. But they say compared to their five to six thousand, Russia is launching 50 to 60,000 artillery shells a day. Uh, and again, it's probably worse than that, you know, the metric. Uh, so that, that gives you a scale of, of this type of industrial war. In, in a way, it's, it's more of a hallmark back to World War One type warfare in that way, uh, you know, with this concentration on artillery. Or, or you could say the way that the World War II was fought on the Eastern Front, because that you know, it's a hallmark of, of the area with basically what the U S does with uh, high tech aircraft, Russia does with high tech artillery. Now, Jason, have you seen the big, beautiful bridge that was built from Crimea to the mainland of Russia a few years ago? Yeah. They were threatening to blow it up. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. And it is a big, beautiful bridge and you can find video when it opened up and Putin drove a truck across it on YouTube. I think it's still there. But that bridge, Ukraine is, is just itching to want to destroy that bridge, right, Mark? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the one of the main presidential advisors to Zelensky, Alexei Aristovich, who is often called Zelensky's brain, uh, he has said that as soon as they have the capability, they'll hit the bridge. Uh, because for them, it's symbolic. Right. It's this connection. Now, full disclosure, uh, this is a very personal subject for me because my wife is Crimean and we have family in Crimea. Right. My mother in law is in, in Simferopol and we have a family there elsewhere. I also have family elsewhere in, in eastern Ukraine. Uh, but, um, you know, uh, so, you know, when I, I hear, you know, about them promising to hit the Crimea, I, it, it raises a lot of blood in Russia um, because, you know, the Crimean people don't. By and large, I mean, they 90 some percent of them, you know, they consider themselves Russians. And in many ways, they're more pro-Russian than a lot of uh, Muscovites, because Moscow, uh, contrary to a lot of belief, is actually the most liberal city in Russia, which is to say like 15 percent. But that's still more than anywhere else in the country. Um, so um, here's the thing, right? Crimea, it, it's a conflict. And, and looking at it strictly from military terms, Russia has lots of military and naval bases in, in Crimea. They did before 2014. I mean, they have since Ukraine had, had uh, independence. They've been there. Um, they didn't have to invade. They were already there. Um, but um, that's not what they're talking about hitting. They're talking about hitting a bridge. And they're talking about hitting a bridge that has no strategic value at this point because – Russia, through the Donbass, already controls territory on mainland Ukraine all the way down the uh, eastern Black Sea coast there to Crimea. So, I mean, it's not like they're severing anything at this point. 
they're not severing any strategic connection. If they hit that, it would be essentially a symbolic act, an act of political terrorism. And if they hit it, that will be it. There will be no Ukrainian state. First of all, the, uh, Medvedev, the former Russian president, he's still on the National Security Council, the chairman. He said outright, you know, we will attack the political leadership of Ukraine, right? Up until now, Russia, I don't know why, has avoided attacking, the, targeting the political leadership of the Kiev regime. Unlike, say, what the U.S. does. When they attacked Iraq, when they attacked Libya, so forth, right? right. They, they identify leaders as command and control, and as far as they're concerned, they're legitimate targets. Boom, boom, boom. You know, cruise missiles, you know, up every bathroom window and, and, and everything yeah. like that. Russia has avoided doing that. I, I couldn't tell you why, to be perfectly honest, and Russia, a lot of Russians are frustrated about that. But they've said, you know that then the kid, if that happens, if there's an attack like that, then the kid gloves come off. And I will tell you straight up, Russia has only less than two hundred thousand troops that have been part of their intervention, and that's including the forty to fifty thousand Donbas fighters. It's a slim, mean fighting machine that is outnumbered, at least on paper by the Ukrainian military forces when, you know, talking conscription and everything, like three to one. Uh, so, and uh, in considering that, and with the amount of military equipment they've actually used, which is 10 to 20% of Russia's military capability, they haven't called up the reserves at all, right? Kiev has mobilized they forcibly conscripted every male in the country at this point. Every male between the ages of 16 and 60, they're not allowed to leave the country, right? They're, they're forbidden. They're banned from leaving the country. And they're all forcibly conscripted in waves, a gun shoved in their hand, and they're sent to the front in territorial defense units. Uh, there's lots of people paying lots of money to escape. From, from Ukraine to the border patrols and, and, and stuff like that. Uh, but Russia has some 2 million just reserves that they haven't even begun to mobilize yet. If the Kiev regime hits the Crimean bridge, the Russian people will scream so loudly for a mass mobilization uh, the, the entire Russian military force to be mobilized and pointed it at, at Ukraine and the, the state of Ukraine it, that, that we've known since 92 will cease to exist. That, that's it. There won't be anything left, right? There might be some rump Galicia left over uh, uh, that will be tossed to the West uh, because the people in that part of Ukraine are so anti-Russian for historical and cultural reasons. Uh, but but other than that, 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 that will be the end of Ukraine. So you know, it's kind of, well, I've got family in the Crimea, but, hmm, <laughs> I would kind of like to see a cruise missile, <laughs> uh, you know, flying through a bathroom window somewhere in Bankova. Now, you know, the other things in the headlines today is the U.S. put a new warning on Russia and China. Did you see this, Jason? There's a I new de-warning. They're giving a warning to people who might travel to Ru Russia if we were going to meet Mark for lunch, for instance, we would get a warning that Russia is dangerous because they might jail us unfairly or take us oh. hostage. Oh, well, I mean, if Maybe. you were 
if you were bringing smoking some weed, weed at the in, airport, if smoking, yeah. <laughs> bringing some weed in the airport. Yeah. Um, other than that, I don't know. I meet Americans here all the time and, uh, you know, of course they say things no. like, that's, that's, no, that's no, you, you're making a joke, though, but that that is what the warning is about. Brit- yeah. the, the U.S. is now saying that Brittany Griner, who pled guilty, let me stress that again, who pled guilty, she is being unfairly detained by Russia, says the Biden administration. Wow. How freaking crazy is that? Look, I, it's, it, it's pretty simple. The, the United States created all kinds of um, very disingenuous attacks on Russian Olympic athletes over uh, uh, claims of doping. They even got a guy whom they say did the doping and they got him out of the country and granted him a new life and a mansion somewhere and, and everything to, to make all sorts of claims about it. The fact that Russia got a hold of a U.S. you know Olympic-level athlete who did have marijuana in her possession uh, when she was transiting through the airport, yeah, they're, they're going to milk that for all it's worth. They're, they're going to get a little bit of shade in Freud. Um, I don't think it's such a big deal myself. I probably would have let her go. But if someone was coming through U.S. customs with some weed, how would they be treating them? Some some foreigner. I mean, seriously. Yeah, you'd be arrested. Well, yeah, exactly right. Now, so it, other, it is real and it is political. The other domestic Russian issue that I'd like you to explain is I understand there's some legislation related to LGBT issues and about discussion about that. What exactly is going on with, explain this, because I didn't quite get it. Yeah, um, okay, so I mean, this is draft legislation. There's no guarantee that this is going to be passed. Things like this are, are promoted all the time. Russia, it is not illegal, like say in Saudi Arabia or, or uh, any number of other US allied states uh, to be gay or lesbian or, or bisexual or, or transsexual or, you know, whatever the current acronym LGBTQ word is. All right. Um, it is, uh, I mean, you can do whatever you want in your personal life. There are gay clubs all over Moscow and all over Russia, except for Chechnya, Chechnya, but that's a cultural <laughs> thing. So, um, but, um, what is illegal is promoting that type of lifestyle to someone who is uh, a child, uh, someone who is under the age of 18. That is a no-no. And it's no secret that Russian society socially is is more conservative than the United States. But then again, you know, th- at least 30 percent of the United States and Europe is, you know, are also conservative in that regard. In Russia, it happens to be the majority. Now, the proposed would just create a little more stringent, a little more detailed conditions, uh, uh, banning the promotion of LGBT lifestyle, uh, you know, ideology in media and so forth, uh, where children could see it. Uh, so you're you're taking a look at, you know, like um, in practice, you know, it's uh, already being enforced, but they're more specifying uh, which types of, of media and exactly what constitutes it. Uh, but, uh, you know, these 
these are gray area things that can often be exploited uh, and used wrongly, right? They can be carried too far. Uh, Russia's not immune from that, like like any country is. Um, and we'll we'll have to see what the details look like, whether this is passed, and what form it finally takes if it is passed. And I'll tell you, that sounds like most people I know, people, just regular people, would be in in favor of that, right, Jason? It's like you don't say gay bill, supposedly in Florida, well, which wasn't really. I don't say gay bill. It was yeah. don't promote. It, it to, would to stop. kids, yeah, right. It's a societal question. What is it works for the United States? It may not work for Russia or Saudi Arabia or India or Pakistan or so forth. There are lots of cultural, social, religious issues involved. And, um, you know, I'm not going to judge what happens in the United States when when men uh, win women's sporting events. And, you know, hey, whatever. It's the U.S. I don't live there anymore. Um, And, you know, what happens in Russia uh, you know, that's for Russian society to decide on those issues politically. No, I, I agree. But I, I, I think what I'm saying is it's not as popular here as you might think at all. It's very controversial. Right, Jason? Uh, it is. Yeah. Surprisingly, so, it shouldn't be controversial. I mean, teaching little kids about heterosexual sex is something that a lot of people don't want. I mean, we're talking eight year olds. Right. And did you hear Reddit ban the term grooming? You can't use the term grooming on Reddit. What's with that? What's up with that? I thought Reddit is this, you know, bastion of, you know, free whatever. Apparently not. Now, so, so, Mark, talk about also the journalist from Germany who's been, her bank account was seized. You know about, about this woman? Do you mean a Russian journalist who was recently in Germany? No, there's uh, a there's a German journalist who's been covering the war in Ukraine, and she's oh, been covering I, it factually for years. And Mark, her bank John Mark Dugan seen, knows her. Okay, good. We'll talk to Mark about her. Uh, yeah, you're talking about Alina Lip, right? Yeah, that yes, sounds right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, she uh, is. Uh, basically an independent journalist, right? Uh, She uh, um, has been sharing a lot of her information uh, on Telegram, which is a social media network that is very popular in Russia. A lot of people follow it to to get the best and most up-to-date information on the war. It has to be said it's it's used a lot in Ukraine as well. Um, it's not as popular in the West as it is in this part of the world. Um, she's a, Lip is a, actually a former Green Party uh, politician. Um, and she's been based in the Donbass for six months. And she is there and she is not bound by, you know, German state media or anything like that. And she is reporting what she has seen there, right, for a a lengthy amount of time. And, you know, the fact that she is taking, you know, largely the people's 
a supportive view of the people of Donbass in particular, what they have been through for the last eight years and where they stand on this and presented it in any type of objective manner, that's not allowed in Germany anymore. I mean, it's it's simply not. It's it's considered uh, uh, propaganda, uh, even when you know it is entirely factual. And she's presenting, you know, the opinion of the of of the views of the people of that region. Uh, but um, you know. It's not the worst thing that could happen. Uh, lots of Western journalists who have been reporting in that vein for the last eight years, uh, more than 20 of them have ended up killed by Kiev regime forces. Uh, so, And he's uh, an active she, hit list. We, we got John Mark Dewey yeah. coming on. He's on, the, he's on that list. Yeah, Merith Forrest. Yeah, I'm, I'm well familiar with it myself. Um, yeah, it is uh, Ukrainian ultra-nationalists um, who have been openly supported in this by the German Interior Ministry. It's got the full blessing. And they target any journalist and celebrity or anyone in the world who says anything bad about the Kiev regime. Um, and there are lots of Western journalists that are on that list as well who just said one factual thing in the middle of, of a pro-Ukrainian narrative that they didn't like about Bandera or something like that. And they end up on that 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 uh, to be killed list as well. No, I, I think it's, it's not say... just her bank account. Lee. She's been criminally charged by Germany yeah. and they're saying she's not allowed That's to right. defend herself and they took her money. That's right. But one person who's definitely safe from that list is Stephen King, horror author Stephen <laughs> King. You saw the video yeah. of him saying good stuff about Bandera. Who are these yeah. guys? It was a prank. Wow. They these guys convinced Stephen King they're talking to Zelensky. Who are these Russian pranksters? Yeah. Okay. So uh, these are a a couple of uh, very famous Russian pranksters, uh, Volvin and Lexus, um, who have made a career. They're hardly the only ones in the world, but uh, they they've made a a big deal. They're uh, kind of like radio celebrities, and they've made a, a a big deal out of getting interviews with all kinds of politicians and celebrities and figures around the world who say stupid things, usually you know, idiotic, false things, um, and, and fall for, you know, believing they're talking often to Ukrainian politicians, uh, Zelensky or, or something of the sort. And, uh, they called up Stephen King, who, uh, evidently is a big supporter of the regime in Kiev. And they talked to him as if they were Zelensky. And, uh, they started saying, yeah, Bandera, he's a hero in our country. Sure. He did a few bad things to the Jews, but who doesn't do a bad thing or two? And, you know, Overall, he's a really good guy. And Stephen King's like, yeah, yeah, he's a hero like you are. And I mean, this man is uh, a Nazi collaborator, a Holocaust perpetrator. He headed up the OUN and the Ukrainian insurgent army. And I don't care. I've seen so many uh, Western media articles that refer to him as the controversial West Ukrainian leader. Right. No, he's not controversial. He's a he's a Nazi collaborator and a Holocaust perpetrator. So. Right. That's it. That that is that is it. Right. There's nothing controversial yeah. there. Right. All the historical revisionism, the whitewashing, the apologia, because the regime in Kiev glorifies him and, you know, the other figures along with well, him and well, consider well, him the founding fathers of their nation. 
Mark Browder time, but the controversial Adolf Hitler once. Yeah, oh, exactly. <laughs> so, Mark Sabota, fantastic talking to you. Have a good night. It's late in mid midnight in Moscow, which sounds like a novel, doesn't it, Jason? Mm. Yeah, Mark, sure. Great talking to you. And say hi to your sci-fi loving wife for us. And enjoy the summer there in Moscow. Mark Sabota, thanks so much for being with us. We'll come back and more on the backstory. that brings you the truth behind the headlines. I'm investigative journalist Lee Stranahan, joined by today's guest co-host, Jason Goodman from Crowdsource the Truth. This is the backstory. And another great appearance by Mark Sabota, eh, Jason? Yeah, it's good to get his insights from Moscow, you know, being there on the ground. And he knows so much, you know, it's hard to throw him a stumper. Yeah. I go with the Stephen King thing. He picks it right up. I go with the types of missiles. But it seems to me that the the, the Zelensky regime is in disarray. Would you agree from what you heard? Yeah, definitely. They just made some announcement today that they are receiving some kind of anti-ship capability and they're going to destroy the Russian fleet. So they're basically cackling, you know, like bullies. Like, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. The danger is the dumbest man in the world, Joe Biden, can't see that this is a fool's errand. And whatever he puts in there is just going to result like like Putin said. This is a tragedy for the Ukrainian people that America is committed to fighting to the last Ukrainian. I don't understand why more people aren't angry with Biden for creating all this destruction in Ukraine. Because there's so much more to be angry with Biden about. They, they're Fair not point. focused on it. <laughs> Good point. But there you go. But coming up this hour, John Mark Dugan from Moscow as well. And yeah. we'll talk about Aiden Aslan with him. He recently interviewed him. He's a convicted Ukrainian mercenary from Great Britain. And we'll talk to John Mark Dugan about that and see how he's doing in Moscow. But we'll have more coming up on the backstory. So, Jason, this is a broad point. I I talked to you a little last hour, the beginning part, about how there's a leadership crisis, a vacuum, and I'm seeing nobody step up. Have you noticed that? Maybe Gavin Newsom, but nobody wants him. And even Gavin Newsom's not fully stepping up. Gavin Newsom's, he's hanging around outside the, the, you know, just outside, but he's visible. But he's not saying, I'm going to take on Joe Biden for the nomination. Yeah, that's true. He's at the edge of the crowd. He's like like testing the water, putting out ads and things. He's like someone standing at the edge of the crowd. And it's obvious he wants to cut in and take your date, and right. cut in on a dance. But he's not actually, he's making eyes, but he's not actually right. saying, can I have this dance? Right. 
Now, I want to get to the phone calls, 202-521-1320, because we have to refund. But I'll talk to you about what I think is the opportunity. You, you heard that right. I think there's an opportunity in journalism for citizen journalists right now, Jason. I think all the censorship prevents, presents an opportunity. And I'll talk about what that is with you after we talk to Tarif, 202-521-1320. Tarif, you're on the air. Go ahead. Um, thank you all for taking my call. I have three comments. First, I'd like to say free June and science. First comment, the ruble is at 55. My yeah. Comment. <clears throat> my, my second comment, it seems like Russia is going to um, um, start renewing the gas back to Germany again once they complete the, the maintenance. I heard I read something about force majeure, but it seems like um, Russia is going to continue to supply gas to Germany. So Germany must have done something. I don't know what they've done. Uh, my last comment is from yesterday. Um, it seemed like I was having uh, trouble with the phone line here or, or maybe on y'all end. But um, the situation with Saudi Arabia, Iran, Israel, from what I understand, Israel, I mean, Saudi Arabia, want to join BRICS, and they don't want to mess up the chances by joining BRICS. And also, they want to have diplomatic relations with Iran as well, and also with Israel. Now, they did open up their flights to Israel, commercial flights, not to the military, where the military can, well, Israel can use it to attack Iran by going over uh, Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia don't want them to do that because that was mess up a whole bunch of things dealing with China and Russia, especially China with all the investments going into um, um, what? But you got investments going in Iran and in Saudi Arabia now, and I think you got China sending investments to Israel. So, try, uh, you know, the Saudi Arabia don't want to be the one to mess that up. So that's a good thing. So yeah, that's my comments for today. Thank y'all for taking my call. Lee, I thought Saudi Arabia hates Iran. Isn't that the whole Sunni, Wahhabi, Shia conflict? They, they do hate Iran, yes. So what's going part on? Of that's well, Saudi Arabia, I think, like a lot of countries, are actually weighing their options right now. If you just look at the world stage, the European powers are in trouble. You can see the obvious problems in Germany and England and also Italy and the European powers seem to be in decline. So if you're a country standing on the sidelines like Saudi Arabia, throwing your lot in with Europe seems like it might have limited power. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So I think Saudi Arabia is weighing its options. Hmm. Interesting. And well, because they're attacked. Also, by the way, I mentioned the restriction it's not a restriction yet. It's just a warning that the U.S. is putting on travel to Russia and China. Once again, the Biden administration did this and knows they lumped China in there. Well, why? Because there's a Cold War 2.0 going on and demonizing yeah. Russia and China. China, whatever people think about China, it represents 
a danger to U.S. doing whatever the hell it wants. Yeah. Other countries may want to stop the U.S. from doing whatever the hell it wants. Venezuela might not like it, but they're not a powerful enough country where they can have any say over it. Russia and China represent the two countries that are powerful enough that keep the U.S. from doing whatever it wants, and Europe, and the EU, and NATO. Mm -hmm. So for everybody who likes to pretend that the Biden administration loves China, you're fooling yourself. It's, it's, it's every bit as demonized as Russia by the Democrats. And just because they make money from them, taking bribes from them, occasionally don't think they like them or they that at the end of the day they aren't just as worried about china for illegitimate reasons china's a threat to globalism because the us and the european globalism in fact i was thinking about this a lot of times, communists, of course, what do they complain about, Jason? What is the number one thing communists don't like? Uh, capitalism. Right. Capitalism. But what do they mean by capitalism? You know, a uh, lot of the time when they say capitalism, I agree with them because they're not really talking about what I think of as capitalism. They're talking yeah, about they mean corrupt capitalism, crony capitalism. They mean globalism or right, right? Or corruption, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, as an example, is the WEF an example of capitalism, in your opinion? Definitely. Well, I mean, no, it's an example of globalism. They're mostly funded by NGOs and people who want power. To wield through it. So no, not capitalism. They would need to open some kind of business. In fact, I hear a lot of Republicans who have somewhat shallow political th understanding call the WF communism. You, do you hear well, that? You've heard that from people, I don't know right? If I've heard I don't know if I've heard communism, but I've definitely heard it. It's globalist for sure. I don't know if it's communist. I mean, doesn't communism have to be involved with production and trade and stuff like that? Well, that's why that's what I'm getting at. The terms are are used sloppily, and yeah. if if by capitalism someone means imperialism, right? And imperialism, I consider globalism the new imperialism. Do you see what I'm saying, Jason? Yeah, I mean, I guess from that standpoint, what they're talking about is if you are a capitalist like Apple Computer or Tesla or something, and then you need batteries and you need, you know, rare earth metal or whatever you're using to make your product, you're then, you know, funding excursions around the world in terms of uh, colonialism and, you know, screwing other countries. And Elon Musk had that statement about we'll do a coup on whoever we want to get lithium and stuff like that. So I guess that's how they see it kind of going hand in hand. Yes. And that's the part I agree with them with. But it's when they, you know, put it broadly against a free market, free markets, I don't view as a threat. 
select your free markets can be but we got to take a short break and when we come back we'll talk to John Mark Dugan because it is late in Moscow we're keeping yeah. it up late and so we want to get to him right away Joe, yeah. let's take a short break and when we come back John Mark Dugan on the backstory. Backstory on 105.5 FM, AM 1390 in Washington, D.C. Joined now by the great John Mark Dugan from Moscow. Hey, John, how you doing? Hey, good. How are you guys doing? Hey, John. Good. Doing great. So you recently interviewed Aiden Aslan, and Aiden's the British citizen who went over to fight with Ukraine, then surrendered and was tried for as a mercenary by the United mm -hmm. People's Republic, found guilty and sentenced to death, right? Is that a good summary, yeah. John? Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's it. Okay, so I understand that Aiden, that's been put off until 2005. He's got a slight reprieve because things, it's a, it's a newly declared country. So it seems like that there's some stuff they need to get set up, but that buys them some time. Is that right, John? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think the fact that, um, you know, I think he has some other things going for him as well. So he's filed an appeal. Um, you know, Aiden's not some guy who heard about the the conflict between Russia and Ukraine and just came over here to fight. He's a guy who was, uh, basically, he was an outcast of his country. Uh, he got crapped on, can I say that word, um, by, uh, by the British government. Um, and so he left. He left for Ukraine to make a better life for himself. He found a wife, and he joined the military to get citizenship. Now... I don't know about uh, I don't know the technicality of the the mercenary law, but if you ask me, it doesn't really sound like a mercenary. So, yeah, he's filed an appeal, um, and I I think he's got a really good shot. Now, so the Aiden and Aslan story brings up some interesting things. Some people, obviously, some people who aren't involved, who are not Ukrainian at all. But I talked to a lot of people who seem to want him dead. They seem to want him because he's been convicted. They and they seem to want him to face the death penalty. I don't pretty I'm I'm opposed to the death penalty in general. But let me ask a broad question. From you interviewing Aiden Aslan, and we'll get the clips in a second. Do you, does your impression of the guy do you think he's a sincere guy, or do you think he's a big fakey faker? Do you think he's just saying whatever you want to hear in order that, that he'll try to get off by faking that he's, he's come around? 
that's a good question. That's a good question. I got to tell you, and it, this is not a knock on Aiden Aslan, okay? Um, but he's not he's not the brightest guy. He's a really – he seems to be a good guy, uh, well, at least a nice guy. Um, but I, I don't think he has the capacity to speak to me the way he spoke to me uh, and be making up a bunch of lies as he goes. Um, if you watch my interview with him, which is on my YouTube channel, um, and it was an hour long, he kind of, he, he did most of the talking and you can't, you can't give that kind of an interview, um, unless you have been highly trained, I think, I mean, this is the guy that was is believing what he says, and I know this from my experience. John, what? Well, John, John, cut it out. Oh wait, we got the Skype beep. He's just lost signal yeah. for a moment. We'll, we'll we'll try it again back. But Jason, what do you think about this whole situation with Alanson? It's very strange. You know, one component I wanted to ask John a bit about the blowback he's getting, because, you know, one of the things that happened during the interview is that Aiden sang the Russian uh, national anthem. And I mean, that's not easy. We got John a back British on. Guy. So, so, so that's all important stuff, Jason. And we'll talk about that in a second. But Jason, John's John Mark Jr. is back in the line. John, were you about to say, I'm going to guess, because you were in law enforcement, and in law enforcement, I assume you have to size up people very quickly to see, right? Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. And I get, I get Aiden, look, the feeling I got from him is he didn't want to tell me everything because he's scared of the repercussions, but he was more or less being straight. How did and you I arrange that, that kind of, I assume you dealt with people like that in law enforcement all the time. And you had yes, a size up, did this guy do something wrong that's minor? Maybe he doesn't want to say, because he's coming back from his mistress's house or wherever. <laughs> you, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, right. absolutely. Guy, uh, I'll, t I'll tell you what, and it's very interesting. Um, we had a little conversation about his role in um, brokering weapons between uh, the SBU and his old contacts at the Kurds, at the, at the um, YPG. Yeah. You got to watch the Dude, interview. Dude, that's bad. Really huh? I, I, I watched some of it. I haven't been able to complete it yet, but that sounds very bad. These are crimes. Well, they're not they're not crimes because if you think about it, those weapons, instead of being in Ukraine, they were going to the Kurds uh, and not being used against Russian soldiers. I mean, that's the way I'm looking at it. But but, but where the Kurds where? The the YPG. In Yemen? Uh, to, no, to no, be, in Syria, right? Yeah, in Syria, Syria, because you know he used to he used to fight with them. But I mean, isn't that arms trafficking? I mean, isn't that not what you're supposed to do if you're in the army? Well, it's, see, I think it's this guy's got a problematic case, and you said it, John. He's not that smart. 
So being dumb well, is not an excuse for breaking hold on, the law. Hold on, and I don't hold on. It's only arms. If it was arms trafficking, okay, it would have been in the jurisdiction of Ukraine. But he had, he was doing it for the Ukrainian SBU. So that's cool. Um, that had nothing to do with anything in the jurisdiction of the Donetsk People Republic. And yeah, but, not only, but wait a minute, not only that, if you're, but every missile, if you're the Donetsk, sorry, go ahead. Missile what? Every, yeah, every missile that was sent to Syria is one less missile that could be used against people, the Donetsk Republic. So, but I got to stop you. I got to stop you. Because if you are in the Donetsk Republic and you are part of the People's Donetsk Republic and this guy's dealing with the Ukrainian SBU, which is essentially the CIA, to send weapons elsewhere in the world, I don't think that's the way they're going to look at it. Oh, well, at least these weapons won't be used against us. They're going to say, who is this British guy coming over here making deals with the secret intelligence people from Ukraine, trying to get into the army? I mean, look. I have to say, well, I think that guy is— want to go into a bunch of detail about it. Right. See, the problem is he's doing things that are in his own personal interest. He's not there trying to help Ukraine and be this freedom fighter. I don't know. I think the guy's got some problems as far as well, his case goes. I, but I don't let me know. ask you this. I don't know, but— How does he know how to sing the Russian national anthem? And what's happening to you as a result of him well, well, singing let's, that? Let's, let's wait till we have a clip of that. Okay, so, all right. So, do, do we have another clip yeah. here that's just interview? All right. So, um, let let me let me start by saying, um, you guys both went to to uh, elementary school in America, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do you remember back when it used to be you'd get to elementary school every morning you'd stand up for the pledge of allegiance and you'd say it. Yes. Right. Yes. And sometimes I, I don't know what schools you went to, but you'd have an immigrant come and they would do the same because that's just what you did every morning. Right. Well, sure. Yeah. So and it's the same thing. They are not in a special prison with only fighters. They are in a general prison. With a bunch of people from Donetsk and a bunch of people from Russia, and um, every morning they wake up and they sing the Russian national anthem. That's just what they do every morning, okay? That makes sense, yes. So, and after four months, you're going to learn the words. Now, he already told me in one interview that he speaks Russian. I don't know how well, uh, and there's been some debate over it. But um, he did tell me that he speaks Russian. So I think after four months, even if you don't speak Russian, if you sing that song, um, you're going to learn the words, even if you don't know what they mean. And um, a good example of that is um, uh, there are some Russian songs that I love to sing because they got a great beat. Um, and uh, I can sing them, but I have no idea what I'm singing. <laughs> so, and did he possibly connect with Brittany Griner and sing any tattoo songs. <laughs> oh. Uh, the, that's a, a reference to But John, what happened that, to you? You've you've lost your Patreon account. You've come under attack for being there while so he sings the, the list, song, right? right? 
So I'm talking to him and I said, you know, if, uh, if, if you don't, if, if you, uh, wind up getting out of jail, well, I, I said, you should write a book because you've had a really interesting life. And he said, well, I, I can't write because I have dyslexia. Oh my God. Yeah. He's dyslexic. But he can remember the whole song. Okay. He can't write, but, but what? Cause he has dyslexia. Yeah. And he's like, but, but since I've been in here, everybody tells me I have a really great singing voice. And I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, I don't know if it's true or not, but everybody loves to hear me sing. And every morning we wake up, we sing the Russian national anthem. And they say that I do it the best out of everybody. It sounds like Pavarotti or something. I mean... No, but he doesn't sound bad. I mean, he sounds pretty good. He's got a very strong voice. Yeah. And um, I said to him, I said to him, well, I would love to hear that. And he's like, oh, would you? Dude, he was like, he was happy to do it. And then I, I thought about it. I was like, well, I mean, I would love to. My subscribers would probably like it. But you don't have to. Uh, he's like, and I'm like, no pressure. There's no pressure. And uh, he's like, He's like, I, I can if you want. I was like, dude, it's completely up to you. There's no pressure. He's like, yeah, okay. And he looks at the guard. He's like, uh, and then he looks uh, and he says, but I have to stand to do it because you have to stand when you sing the Russian national anthem. And uh, I'm like, uh, oh, okay, sure. And I looked at the I looked at the guard that was in the room and then the cameraman. And I said, hey, guys, is this okay? And they're like, yeah, sure. So I'm like, okay, so he stands up, and then I stand up next to him, and he starts singing it, right? Yeah. And um, f- holy let's, Christ. Let, the f- let's, go the to, let's go to the clip now, actually. This is a good point yeah. to go to the clip. Command Central, yeah. hit this clip of him singing the Russian National Anthem and hit it whenever you can. I can do it if you want to. I would really like it. I think my followers would love it. But it's up to you. No pressure. Do you, do you, do you mind if I stand up? I, I'm fine. Yeah. Is it okay? So I have to yeah, yeah. Is it, is it okay? Oh, here. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Okay, I don't know if it's true or not, but I'm just going to do it anyway. Okay, let's do it. That's a controversial singing. Okay, John, so he does have a strong voice. Yeah. So somebody put a clip out, and they didn't have... They only had me standing next to him. They didn't have any of that conversation before. It was just me standing next to him. And first, the headline was, Burly Russian Jailer Forces Aiden As- or forces British um, uh, Mercenary or British POW to sing the national anthem. Well, there's a, uh, a vicious-looking club sitting on the table next to him now it's a microphone (laughs) yeah it was a microphone 
It was my wireless microphone that I was using to record the uh, interview. I'm certainly but not. But a vicious looking wireless microphone, right? Yeah, I'm certainly not burly. I'm not a Russian no, jailer. Say, this is a favorable headline, John. You're burly. I'm burly. <laughs> nice. I feel like a biker. No. Um, yeah. And then, and then everybody found out it was me, and they thought that I made him stand up, right, and sing for like the glory of Putin. And um, holy cow. You would not believe the fallout. It was absolutely, it was worldwide. People writing to me, writing me death threats, all wow. sorts of crazy stuff. Yeah, and but you they know, terminated your your Patreon. That's that's one of the ways that you make money. We were speaking earlier about how that German journalist, who I believe you're friends with, Lip Miss Lip, she's yeah. she's under criminal charges now, and they took yeah, her money yeah. away as well. Yeah, but here's the thing. I I get money from that, but that money, like that money, does not go for me. I spend that on like um, so. So all my donations for the past five months or four months since this thing started. Maybe I don't. Mean, maybe don't give people any insight into how you earn money so they can attack it further. The point I'm getting is this is no, how I they know, operate. What I'm saying is they're not hurting me. They're hurting the people that I've been bringing humanitarian aid to. Uh. You know. I, I, I've brought I've brought tens of thousands of dollars worth of medicines and and clothing and food and baby supplies to uh, Mariupol, you know, carfuls and carfuls, and that's what I've been using this money for. These people, they don't they think it's hurting me. Uh, it's hurting them, and it's hurting it's hurting um, you know. They they don't realize that I'm I'm advocating for this Aslan Aslan guy, so well, I think since, that's since what your you detractors don't like. So, I'm sorry, I you two were talking at the same time. I didn't understand. Lee, go ahead. I was going to say, here's a money making suggestion. Since you have the recording, can you enter it in the Eurovision Song Contest? Yeah, exactly. I, I might be able to. <laughs> Mask because. Singer. The the next one's going to be in Ukraine, and that'd be ideal. Yeah. Well, you know what I had what I had noticed. Joking aside, was on Twitter, people using you know social engineering accounts, fake names, not showing who they are. They are putting up complaints saying, "Hey, Patreon, take away John's money." Now, John, yeah. everybody knows who he is. Everybody knows where he is. He's not using a mask. He's not using a fake account. He's not concealing his identity. It's just disgusting to me how cowards, wherever they are around the world, whether they're in the German government coming out against uh, Lip, is it Christine Lip? What's her first name? Alina. Alina Lip, you know, all these cowards who, who hide and take people's money, they don't want to deal with contradicting any claims that she makes they just want to shut these things down by whatever unscrupulous underhanded deceitful tactics they can use and it's terrible yeah, that's true using a mask to to hide john's identity wouldn't work because he's so burly i right. just need yeah. to point that out <laughs> yeah you know it, it, and the funny thing is i've had several people they started out threatening me on instagram for instance mm -hmm. and i said okay well don't threaten me. Let's discuss this. What what is the problem? 
you tell me what your problem is, what I've done, and I'll explain it. Both uh, two people um, that did this have completely changed their tune. What do you mean? Two people who did well, what? Who shut down your thing? Once I put the recordings into context, uh, once I've kind of explained to them what I've been doing, um, they, they've they reversed their opinions. Have but you tried that with Patreon? Yeah. Have they restored your account? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I did. I did go to Patreon. Oh, and, wow. Uh, Great. Yeah, I, I ended up, I said, you know what? Look, I'm not out here hurting anybody. This guy asked for my help. Here's the actual clip with the full context. I was like, I, I gave him other clips of uh, from my YouTube account where uh, we're delivering like humanitarian aid. And I said, you know, this is this is ridiculous, and for you to suspend the account over this is uh, un- is is just unfathomable. And uh, they did; they restored it. That's so, great news. That's good. Yeah, that's good. That very good. That that makes me feel better about Patreon as a company. Yeah. Because I'm going to say, yeah. if you're taking it down by YouTube or the same thing, forget about it. My experience yeah. is there's no appeals process with YouTube. Jason? Correct. No, that's absolutely right. And again, YouTube are among those I'm talking about who operate behind fake accounts, email addresses that never respond, opaque appeal processes. Patreon is not exactly big tech. They're kind of like medium tech, and they do have a more one-to-one, you know, they're making money with you, so you have some ability to communicate with them. And I've had fairly good experience with Patreon given, you know, what some of these other technology companies will do. And I'm very I, like you, Lee. I am. I have a renewed sense of confidence in them. Just now, learning that John's account has been restored. That was very well done. And let John. me just say, in their defense, if there was someone who is their money making method on Patreon was to threaten people to sing a song in praise of Vladimir Putin, if that was their <laughs> business model, I would be opposed to that business model. Yeah. Wouldn't you, Jason? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Said, I'm... Well, give I'm like me five dollars a month, and I'll I'll I'm... make people sing a song about Putin. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had one guy come at me saying, "You violated the Geneva Convention, Article 13. That's the guy I saw on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, and um, well, it was a different one that wrote to me. I said, "Okay." He's classified as a mercenary right now, and he's not right, a so he's not protected by the Geneva Convention, so he's not right? Protected, but I have been appealing to the presidential administration in Donald's Republic to make him wow. a POW. Wow! So, John, you're going to be saving this guy's life. Well, then you know that's my goal. I mean, the rest of the guys, you know, if if they came over. If they came over, I, I got a problem with that. But this is a guy who moved there um, to reestablish his life after he got effed by the uh, UK government. And um, he was living there before any of this ever happened. So, you know, 
in a way, in a way, I can identify with this guy because right. I was in some position almost. Right. Yeah. You would join the Russian army. I I would if I would if I wasn't so old. And the the Nazi stuff in Ukraine is depending on who you're dealing with, not necessarily obvious. Because I've had friends who right. are Ukrainian, and they don't like Russia. I'm thinking of mm. Andrew Delzenko. But, mm. and when I showed him some footage of people who are clearly Ukrainian Nazis, he was shocked. And yeah. he lives, lives in Ukraine. Do, do yeah. you agree with me, John? That is not 100% obvious. Not ever, first off, not everyone who's Ukrainian Everyone in Kiev is not a nationalist. That's true. That's true. And and to be frank, uh, most of the nationalists aren't anywhere near Kiev. They're usually right. pretty far to the west. Right. Or they're in the south. Um, Andre is Kiev, right? Teloshenko lives in Kiev or did most of the time, didn't he? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but like uh, my friend George— who has been living in Crimea since 2005, when he moved there, he went to his neighbor's house, and his neighbor's garage was like a Nazi fortress. Whoa. Like, Nazi paraphernalia. He was, he, was, he was very surprised. And this was Borrowed back in— more. Yeah, this was back, uh, you know, in the uh, um, mid-2000s, uh, in 2005 or 2010, somewhere around there. I, and I think also that when you interview someone, if you're coming at it from an honest perspective, which this sounds like you are, John, you mm-hmm. try to identify with them as a human being, whoever Absolutely. you're talking to, whoever Absolutely. you're talking to. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people like like uh, a lot of people who watch my interview that are like, you know, death to the mercenary people. um they might take a little offense at my interview because, you know, I go in, I shake his hand. I treat him. I treat him like I would treat a friend. Um, and I do it for a couple of reasons. The first reason, the dude's already on death row. I mean, why do you have to treat him like garbage? Right. Right. Uh, you don't. And when I was a cop and I used to tell the other guys this, when I was a cop, if you arrest somebody, you know what? They're selling drugs. That's their business. I'm a cop. That's my business. My business is to arrest them. And uh, it's nothing personal. You don't have to treat them like garbage. Well, John, I can identify this. This will sound weird, but I'm friends with Dog the Bounty Hunter. Okay. You've heard of Dog, right? Yeah, I know. And Dog gets hassled by people sometimes because when he picks people up on a bounty, he'll give them a cigarette on the way back to jail. And they say to him, why are you giving me a cigarette? And he's like, because the guy's going to jail. I don't have to make him feel like garbage. I agree it's exactly you. what you said. I, I took somebody to Taco Bell on the way, on the way to jail once. <laughs> wow. Well, I mean, it's not a reward. No, no, it's not a reward. The guy hadn't eaten, and um, he, was, he was stealing food, but I didn't have any choice to arrest him uh, um, because of our policy. Um, he was stealing food. He hadn't eaten and he was going to go to jail. And, you know, when you're sitting there getting booked in, you might not eat for 12, 15 hours. 
So wow. I did. I felt bad for the guy. I took him to Taco Bell. It's actually very smart, John, because something like that, when you're in a police situation, could be the difference between calming the guy down and getting me to say, you know what, I'm not angry at this cop versus lunging at you and trying to take your gun and shooting you. Well, it's more than that, because the next time I go to arrest this guy, if or the next time some cop goes to arrest this guy, um, if he had any thoughts of being violent, maybe he won't. Yeah, pretty smart. Well, I mean, you got to treat people no, And I think, I think it's also very interesting, actually, because it's a wide question. Let's use a non-controversial example. Everyone agrees German Nazis during World War II are bad, right? Yeah. That's yes. not controversial. But Klaus Schwab there were might lots disagree. Of, but there were lots of people living in Germany, right? There were lots of people yes. living in Germany in World War II who knew about what the Nazis were up to to a greater or lesser extent. You see what I'm saying? Not everyone, yeah. just because you were in Germany in World War II doesn't mean you were a Nazi. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think it's very interesting, specifically, what someone like Aiden was told and not told. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Well, whether he knew or whether he didn't, I mean, I guess it's really a moot point at this point. Um, here's, I'll tell you what I believe. Um, what he did in the past, it's in the past. All right. If if the Donetsk People's Republic is smart, they're going to take a guy like that. They're going to show him. They're going to introduce him to people that lost family members, lost kids. Um, they're going to show him the horrors um, that have been caused there by the Ukrainian military. And they're going to convert him. Now, the Russians were actually very successful with doing this. Two Germans in World War II. Um, there, there are entire cities, as a matter of fact, um, that were built by Germans, German POWs, and they they assimilated. They they learned to love the country, and uh, eventually they just settled here after the war. Um, and I think I think killing him, okay is number one it's not the right thing to do but number two it's a very wasted opportunity it's a wasted opportunity yes i agree yeah yeah it's a wasted opportunity to show the rest of the world um that number one you have compassion as a government um number two that people can change and he's realized the error of his ways um, and he can preach, he can preach to the world about, look, we did this, this, and this. And, um, now, now, you know, cause it's interesting what he's told me, uh, about prison. You know what he's scared about? It's interesting. He's scared what? because Ukrainian bombs have been dropping in the middle of the city yes. right near the prison. Wow. Yeah. yeah, that's like uh, that happened in Iraq. They bombed some prison and everybody escaped. Yeah. He's like, well, we're terrified because there's nowhere to go. 
Wow. Well, I'll make a statement that may be controversial, but I don't think with either one of you guys, I have more sympathy for Aiden Aslan than I do for Brittany Griner. Oh, that's not I have no sympathy that's for That's not Brittany. controversial at all. Right. And, and I, Brittany Griner, if she took this attitude, you know what? I pled guilty. Uh, I don't think I should get heart punishment for bringing in weed, but I did do it. And if I get some punishment, I guess I should expect that. But I don't want harsh punishment. If she took that attitude, but she's whiny. She's whining about what she's dealing with. And she's making a political issue in a way that Aiden Aslan. Does it make sense, Jason, why yes, I'm more sympathetic? Yes, it does. Because you know what? I mean, I am sympathetic to what John is saying and that the guy moved there. And I mean, I've known John for years now, and I know how he's been mistreated by this country and law enforcement in our country, the United States. And I've come to understand his uh, appreciation for Russia and the country that's given him a home. And I could understand how he would be motivated to defend that country if it were threatened. And so from that standpoint, I can understand where Abe Maslin is coming from. I do not like this business of getting involved with secret intelligence service and moving weapons out of there. I don't think that's a good defense. Well, but let me, yes, let me not killing the guys is, is his involvement. They came to him. But I will make this. Say, they came to him. No, but John, I will. He was there and they wanted his contacts. No. And I will say, though, that I will give you five dollars on Patreon if you can get Brittany Griner to sing the Russian national anthem. <laughs> I think that's be early when you do it, though. Yeah, I'm sorry. But um, you know what? I would not disgrace this country by letting her sing the Russian national anthem. I don't think she speaks Russian anyway. So. It doesn't even matter. I, I would never. She, yeah. She's the disgrace to any. Well, and I agree. She she brazenly violated the law. And I mean, it's like, look. You know, you got to own up when you do something you're trying to get over and you get caught. Don't don't call Joe Biden and ask him to get you out. That's 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 bad. I definitely don't support what she did. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny because you talk about how whiny she is. That's because she uh, as a race baiting um, alphabet individual in America, she's used to being whiny and getting her way. She's used to kneeling. Right. Uh, on the flag, uh, desecrating the country, um, right? And she thinks that that. I'll bet, same- I'll bet you have a different time singing, getting her to sing the U.S. national anthem, right? Than the Russian exactly national anthem. No, right. You know what? Nah. U.S. is too. And just one last question about her, guys. Name one other country. Where someone whose primary skill is playing a child's game could become a famous, wealthy, whatever it is. Yeah, not many. Not many at all. So. No, and and she's able to make a living in Russia better than she can in the U.S., apparently, because she chose to move over there. Oh, well, good point. And the reason I brought up the LGBT issue, Jason, with Mark Sabota last hour is because do you get the sense, John, that this 
is really a battle, a proxy war between the New World Order and Russia, as much as any country in the New World Order. It's about the WEF and globalism and a set of values that is, I, I don't know what, you know, we talked about. Saying, and I, I, I agree with you. Um, it is a fight. It is a fight for all of these groups that want to um, push these really immoral, uh, disgraceful values on the rest of the population. Um, you know, and it, it's interesting because if Russia was so bad, okay, if Russia was so bad, why would uh, – Brittany Greener, Greiner? Greiner, yeah. Greiner. Why would she be here? Why, why, why would she – I mean obviously she knows that um, – I don't want to say Russia is not accepting of them, They, they, but they, they're not um, – like you can't pray. It's a more them. conservative – yeah, they're very conservative. It's a more conservative culture. They yeah. absolutely believe marriage is between a man and a woman. Absolutely. There's no question about it. So, mm-hmm. you know, and and if they were so unaccepting of that, if they were so unaccepting of doing whatever you're going to do in your own home, they would. she would never have been over here. Well, and let me say something about that. Have you ever heard, John – Potentially, this is a tourist suggestion for you. Have you ever heard in St. Petersburg of the Revolution Pole Dance Contest that happens every year? (laughs) The least favorite. (laughs) No, you can find it on YouTube. The Revolution Pole Dance Contest in St. Petersburg, Russia. Have you ever heard of that? I I never have. Have you? Oh, John, you'd like it. Lee's covered it. There's a lot of videos. The Revolution. And they're they're very good pole dancers. Have you seen the videos, Jason? Yeah, we showed it when we were talking about it on uh, High Dive a few weeks ago. Dancers? No, Say I'll, again? I'll tell you what else. Are they what? Are they women pole dancers? John? Oh, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, 100%. There, there are. That's what I was going to say. I am in favor of pole dancing, by the way. Full disclosure, I'm in favor. Yeah. It's actually very popular <laughs> but, here. In fact, I have a, a right. friend... Uh, with me now, who? Oh, never mind. <laughs> but just anyone <laughs> okay. say, bring the kids. It's very popular. That's fine. Yeah. But does anyone ever say, hey, let's bring the kids? Let's bring your eight-year-old or a three-year-old to the pole dancing. I take it not, right? Correct. Right, and it's that's what, what you you get. Where I'm going with this, Jason? In the yeah. U.S. If if you want to be a drag queen, whatever. If you want to go to right. a drag show, whatever. But where does something as crazy as drag queen story hour? That sounds right. like something made up, and that's where yeah. things have progressed to in America. Yeah, it's crazy. And I, right. So go ahead, John. It's a disgrace. You're right. It's an absolute. I mean, wouldn't that? Wouldn't that have just been like a Saturday Night Live sketch even three years ago, Drag Queen Story Hour? It's so 
outside of anything reasonable. I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, it's just the uh, I, I can't get my head around it. Will you speak to Aiden Aslan again? Yeah. Um, him and the American guy. Now, I was supposed to. There's a funny story for you. I got deported from Donetsk. Whoa. Whoa. Why? I went through the border. I was supposed to have a stamp on a, on a document. And I didn't realize that nobody stamped it. So when I got to the other prison to interview the American, um, uh-huh. they're like, oh, you don't have to stamp. And, of course, that's the police. And they're like, all right, you have to leave here. You have to be out of here, like, within four hours. Uh, yeah. wow. And so the, the DPR deported you? Huh? <laughs> the DPR deported you? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they didn't really deport me. They they made me leave. They made me go back to the border to get stamped. <laughs> now, here's the thing. I, I love it how people are always being like, oh, you're like Putin's chill. Dude, they could have stamped my – they could have stamped that document two minutes um, where I was. Or they could have just, like, ignored it. But – they put me through all this inconvenience. I didn't get to do this other interview. Uh, hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's fun. I can say I've been deported. I've now I can say <laughs> I've been illegal in Russia. I've been deported. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've been through a gamut of stuff. That's true. <laughs> but, but, but John, we're almost out of time. Tell people where, where they can find your stuff. So they can. Uh, my YouTube channel is John Mark Dugan, D-O-U-G-A-N. Uh, and I'm also on Rumble, um, which is uh, Bad Wolf, B-A-D-V-O-L-F. Yeah. And you're back on Patreon, Bad Wolf on Patreon. Yeah, and I'm back on Patreon. And, 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 and we're out of time, but fantastic interview. And don't forget who reminded you about revolution pole dancing in St. Petersburg. <laughs> when you enjoy it, thank you me. Yeah. And just look, and quick, thank Jason Goodman. Real quick, I'm going back Jason Goodman. in a week. Any donations are appreciated. I'm going to use it to buy medicine and food for the guy, for the people in Severodonetsk. Okay, John Mark Dugan, we're out of time. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Great appearance as usual. And Mark Spada and Jason Goodman, great guest hosting. We'll talk to you later on The Backstory. Thank you.